It's really good for us to be with you this morning, uh, for Kathy and I and our family. There is no doubt that the river is home for us. This will always be our home church. Um, And it was 11 years ago this summer that we stood right here and you guys prayed us out of a job that I had been in for 15 years being a probation officer. And you prayed us out of that and into a new season of ministry um, as a pastor. And that's when we left to go to DeMott, Indiana. Uh, and we loved it in DeMott for three years. Uh, and then we got a phone call from someone that you know who was in Chino, Tim Spikestra, and invited us to come and serve with him there. And, and so we've been in Chino for the last eight years, pastoring at a church, uh, Cross Point Christian Reformed Church. But interestingly, and I didn't really think about this until early this morning, um, our last Sunday from going from being a probation officer into pastoring was here at the river. Well, our last Sunday of being a pastor and going back into being a probation officer, which I will do tomorrow morning, um, is here at the river. And I didn't really realize that until this morning. Um, And somehow I think that's God's design uh, because this is home for us. Uh, And so sometimes God brings us full circle in our lives. And in a way, this is full circle uh, for us. And so it's it's good to be here. I look out and I think, wow, some of you sit in the same place. (laughs) You haven't moved in 11 years. (laughs) And some of you look the exact same. You don't change. Must be the good sunshine out here in Redlands. Um, So yeah, the last, I don't know, nine or ten months for Kathy and I and for our boys, um, yeah, Doug mentioned their names, Alex uh, is uh, just finished his freshman year at Calvin, Andrew uh, just finished his sophomore year at Ontario Christian High School, that's that other school that Doug was mentioning, and Aaron just finished uh, sixth grade at Ontario Christian, so they were pretty young when we left here 11 years ago. But about, I don't know, last August or September, um, Kathy and I began to pray um, and began to seek uh, through prayer and in prayer, what is God's plan for us? And so the last nine, ten months have been a time of really focused prayer. And in many ways, it was really good, right? It's It's a refining time when you are trying to discern and trying to determine, God, what is your plan for us? What is your will for us? And, and uh, are, we, are we pursuing that? And is our flesh in the way? And all of these different things. And, um, and so it was, a, it, was, it was a challenging time. And at times over the last year as we prayed and tried to seek the Lord, there were times when we wanted to just throw our hands up and go, God, what are you doing? We're, we're, we're trying to follow you. We're trying to understand what are you doing. And there were other times where it seemed like God was answering our prayers and doors were opening wide. And, and so it was this time of struggle and yet time of real joy and a, and a time of refining our faith and a time of learning to trust God and to, to know that he's a good father who has good plans for us. And so 
Um, I want to kind of bring you into that journey a little bit this morning. And so what I'm going to talk about is some words that Jesus has for us from Luke chapter 18 on persistent prayer, praying persistently. And I don't, I don't know about you, but prayer is not always something that comes easy. We tend to be kind of a fast food uh, culture and, and we pray maybe for something once or twice. And if we don't hear from the Lord or we don't get an answer, we move on to the next thing. And, and so Jesus in Luke chapter 18 teaches us to pray persistently, to pray continually because our Father is good. And so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 if you have a Bible. Um, And if you don't, I think the words will be on the screen. And I don't know if you guys do this at the river. I've done this a lot of years now, and it's important to me. And and that's to stand when we read the Word of God. Would you guys be okay with that, just standing with me uh, as we read? You don't have to stand for the whole sermon. But just stand as we read God's word, Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You can be seated. So Jesus gives us a nice teaching in the form of a parable, and you may Recall that a parable is, is a word picture. Sometimes we use cute phrases like it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and, and there's some truth to that, but it, it's a word picture. And Jesus was, in that culture, a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a respected teacher. He taught with authority. And the rabbis of that day, all of them, used parables. They used word pictures, characters, images from everyday life to make a point to teach. And the goal of a parable was to move the audience. It wasn't just a cute story. It was to move the audience to make a decision, to see themselves in the the parable, to see themselves in the story, and then to make a decision to move them in faith. And so this morning, that is God's desire for you and for me as well. And so Jesus uses this parable about this persistent widow. And in the parable, there's two characters. The first is a judge and then the widow. And I love what Jesus does. I think sometimes in Jesus's teaching, there's some humor that we don't always see. And I think he's, in this case, using a little bit of humor. He describes the judge in verse two. He says, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Now, 
as I said, Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He knew the Old Testament text really well. And if you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, there's a story of the king of Judah. His name was Jehoshaphat. Years ago in this church, we did a play called Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat. You guys remember that? Some of you, okay? Um, king Jehoshaphat was a good king in Judah, and he was appointing judges in the various cities throughout the land. And he had instructions for them. And he said to them things like this, be careful in how you judge because you are not judging for man, but you are judging for the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord in your judging. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Judge carefully, he says, for with the Lord there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. And so in a sense, Jesus in this parable uses this character of a judge who is the exact opposite of the type of judge that God wanted for his people in the land. He's the exact opposite. He doesn't fear God. He's not careful in his judging. He doesn't care about people. At the core, he's corrupt. He's corrupt. He's a bad dude. And the only way to to receive a a ruling in your favor from a judge like this, a corrupt judge, is probably through bribery. And so I can imagine the audience, as Jesus is describing this judge, they're probably smirking, and they're probably thinking, the disciples are probably thinking, yeah, this isn't really the kind of judge that God wants for his people, but this fits well in the parable. And so he's corrupt. In our culture, we might describe someone like this as antisocial. They don't really care about what people think. They don't care about their, their uh, immorality. They don't care if they're hurting people. There's no remorse for their behavior. They're kind of an antisocial personality, and that's the character of this judge that Jesus describes. And so how do you get a judge like this to rule in your favor? It's probably only through bribery. And so that's the judge. And then Jesus introduces us to this widow in verse 3. And he says, there's a widow in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, in ancient Middle Eastern cultures, widows could have been pretty young ladies, maybe in their 30s or 40s. We tend to think of widows as as older in our day today, but this could have been a pretty young woman. But in that culture, widows were really vulnerable people. They were powerless So you have this corrupt judge who has all the power and this powerless widow. Why is she powerless? Because in that culture, if you did not have sons or extended family members to take care of you, then you were a nobody. You had nothing. You were in big trouble. Think about the story of Naomi and Ruth in the Old Testament Uh, book of Ruth, right? Naomi was married to a husband, an Israelite husband. She had sons. They left Israel because of a famine. They went to Moab where her sons married. One of them married this, this young woman named Ruth. Naomi's husband dies and her sons die. And she has nothing except for Ruth, her daughter in law. And they come back to Israel. And were it not for the generosity of an extended family member, Boaz, they would have been in big trouble. That was the culture of the day. And so here we have this this widow who is likely in this situation where she has no one to take care of her. She's in the most vulnerable position. 
She's coming to the court, the city gate where judgments were given in cases. And it was a place for men. It was not a place for women in that culture. It was a place for men. And so she likely had no one to advocate for her. She had no one to speak on her behalf. And Jesus describes in the parable that somebody is trying to take from her. Somebody is trying to to do something wrong to her. It says, she kept coming to the judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. She's in a hopeless situation. She doesn't have any resources. But she uses what she has available to her, a tenacity, a persistent spirit, a persistent determination to get a favorable ruling. And then verse 4, Jesus goes on, he says, but the judge refused for a little while. This corrupt judge refuses. Why? Because he doesn't really fear God, so he's not going to change his mind out of his sense of morality. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about the woman, so he's not going to change his mind for her benefit. He can't be shamed into doing the right thing in that culture. Sometimes they would use shame to cause people to do the right thing. He can't be shamed because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about men, and he doesn't fear God. But the persistence of the widow pays off. In verse 4, Jesus says, The judge finally said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Her persistence pays off. And that phrase, wear me out, in the original Greek, it's a fighting term. It's a, it's a term that describes someone giving another person a black eye. And so the judge is essentially saying, this woman is giving me a black eye by her persistent determination. Right? Some of you, many of you have had children and you have, right, our kids sometimes just keep hammering away. Dad, can I do this? No. Dad, can I do it? No. Dad, all right. You can do it, right? Their, their persistence pays off sometimes, right? It's like getting a, a black eye, if you will, and that's what the judge describes here. And so the persistence of the woman pays off and he rules in her favor, In verses 6 through 8, Jesus then gives the application of the parable. He says, The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Will God give justice to his chosen ones? Of course he will. Will he keep putting them off? No, of course he will not. I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The point of the parable is clearly to be persistent in prayer. Jesus' point is essentially this. If this woman's needs are met, this woman in the parable, how much more will the needs of God's children who pray not to a harsh and corrupt judge but to a loving and good father be met, right? If this woman's needs are met, how much more will your needs and my needs, being God's children, who pray not to a harsh and corrupt judge, but to a loving father? 
And so we can be assured that our prayers and our requests are heard and they're acted upon by a loving and good father. And we could end there and we could say we just need to be persistent in prayer. But I'm not sure that that would be very helpful because sometimes God calls us to persist in prayer for months and years and sometimes decades. And we get discouraged in prayer. And we want to give up sometimes. As I was sharing, and part of Kathy and I's journey is sometimes just want to go, God, what are you doing? Are you hearing us? God, we're sharing with you the desires of our heart, and we want to align our desires with your will. Are you hearing, God? Where are you? And as I mentioned, there were times when it seemed like he was saying, yes, yes, this is my way. This is my direction. Walk in it. And other times, what? Where are you? Are we doing the right thing? And so I want to give us a little bit of tools, I think, from the scriptures that help us to be persistent prayers, individually and corporately. This is not just for us as individuals. It's for you as the river church. And so what are some of these tools? Well, I think we make two errors when it comes to prayer. Two errors that keep us from persisting in prayer. The first error is that we don't ask. And the second prayer is that we ask selfishly. So let me deal with the first one first. Sometimes we don't ask. In the biblical book of James, in the New Testament, James is a very practical book. It's like he takes the theology of Scripture and he applies it very practically to our lives. In James chapter 4, verse 2, James says... You do not have because you do not ask God. Sometimes one of the errors we make in prayer is we don't ask. Now, let me kind of drop that verse in the context of the, of the passage. In James, he's addressing strife. He's addressing division in the church. The church, people in the church were kind of pursuing worldly pleasures and, and, and not the, the things of the Lord. And James is reminding the church that everything that they need in life, everything can be found in Christ Jesus and in the wisdom of Christ Jesus. And he's reminding them of that. But he's saying, you're not asking for it. You're not pursuing it. And so one of the things that we do often in prayer is we don't ask. I used to work with somebody in Indiana. I'll never forget this conversation. We were talking about prayer, and she said to me, she said, I don't ever ask God for anything. She said, God is sovereign, God God is all-knowing, and he knows everything that I need in my life, so I don't think I need to be bothering him with my requests. And he's probably got bigger things to deal with than my life issues, so I don't ask God for anything. And it was a good conversation That's not the teaching of God's word. That's not God's design for us. What that does is essentially say that God isn't concerned with our personal lives. It makes God this kind of faraway deity. Yeah, he's out there, but he doesn't really care about my personal life. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is deeply concerned with your life. Every small part of it, every large part of it. And James was reminding the church that Everything that we need in life, everything can be found in the wisdom of Christ Jesus. We just need to ask for it. And so we need to begin by being people who ask. 
bringing God your heart, bringing God your desires, bringing God the things that you need, the things that you want, the things that you, that he puts on your heart to bring to him. So we need to start by asking. Second, second error that we often make is that we ask selfishly or we ask with the wrong motive. Look what James says in verse three of chapter four. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's a pretty convicting verse. James says, check your motives when you pray. What's your motive for your request to the Lord? Is it to build your own kingdom or is it to build God's kingdom? Is it to pursue the things of the flesh, the things that bring us comfort, or is it to pursue the Lord and to seek him in all things? You see, when we pray with wrong motives, we typically will end up praying for the wrong things. And we won't get the answers from the Lord that we're looking for. In James's audience in that church, their prayers were not being answered because they were asking with arrogance. They thought they knew it all. They didn't need the wisdom of Christ. They knew it. They were being wooed by the things of the world, and our culture is so much like that culture. We are so easily wooed by the things of the world, and we end up asking in prayer for the wrong things. And so praying persistently is not about getting what we want. God is not a genie in a bottle. Prayer is not a magic wand that we wave so we can get what we want. Isaiah 55 Verse 8, Isaiah the prophet says, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. God's ways are not your ways. And so part of prayer is discerning. Part of prayer is determining what is God's will? What is God's plan? What is God's purpose? And aligning our hearts with God's heart. Our purpose with God's purpose. And we'll get to that in just a little bit as well. And so we need to check our motives when we pray. We need to begin by asking, asking and laying it before the Lord. But we need to be checking our hearts and checking our motives. And that was a real challenge, I think, for Kathy and I as we walked through this journey the last nine or ten months. Often, God, is my flesh getting in the way? Right? We, I'm no different than you. We, we sometimes long to be comfortable in life, Right? I don't think God's always that interested in our comfort. So I had to check my heart often. God, is this just me? Is it my flesh? Leaving ministry, there's some challenges in ministry, incredible blessings in ministry, but challenges. God, is it just my flesh wanting to leave or am am I really pursuing you? It's just this constant checking, constant checking. Maybe that's because I know myself and I know my weaknesses. I know my My flesh is strong, and so God, are my motives pure? And so we need to stay away from those errors. We need to check our motives. So now let me flip it on its head. Those are the errors that we make. So how do we pray persistently but biblically? How do we pray persistently but biblically? The first thing I think we need to do is to ask boldly. 
We need to ask boldly. Jesus makes some incredible statements in the Gospels. Let me just read a few of them. They're on your your outline, so you can look at them again maybe later this afternoon. But some of these statements that Jesus makes makes us uncomfortable. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Right? Sometimes we read that and we think, man, that sounds like a blank check. I just ask whatever I want. I throw in Jesus' name and, and it's good, right? Is that what Jesus means? Let me read a few more. John 14, verses 13 and 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Wow. Really? John 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Wow, another one. And then one more, John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, right? Those are texts that we need to kind of wrestle with. There's a text that we need to kind of sit in. And what is Jesus really saying here? Is it really that blank check? I can just ask for anything in his name and and I'll get it? Not necessarily. I think we need to believe the words of Jesus. I think we need to take his words as promises to be held onto to be pursued. And I think we need to ask bold requests. I think we need to pray bold prayers. I think we need to pray prayers that only God can respond to, right? Sometimes our prayers are things that only we we can kind of control, right? I think God wants us to pray bold prayers in the name of Jesus, prayers for healing, prayers for miracles, prayers for for the, the, the roof to be blown off of this church and growth and impact in the city and all of these incredible prayers. I think God wants us to do that. And so I think to take these words of Jesus at face value is important, but I want to show you one thing. In the, in the verses that I read from the Gospel of John, you'll notice that middle one that I read, John 15, verse 7, says this. If you remain or abide in me, and my words remain or abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's a really important verse, and it's bookended by those other verses that I read in the Gospel of John. And I think what Jesus wants us to get to is... He's saying, as you learn to abide in me, as you remain in me, and as my words begin to soak into the very pores of who you are, as as my words dwell richly in your heart, as the scriptures say in Paul's letters, as that begins to happen, guess what? Our hearts begin to be aligned with God's heart. Our desires become God's desires, or God's desires, maybe a better way to say is God's desires become our desires. And the things we pray for are the things that God wants us to have, things that will bring him glory, things that will grow his kingdom, things that will impact lives for eternity. That's, I think, what, God, what Jesus is wanting us to get from those verses. They're powerful verses, and we need to take them at face value. But the, the way we enter into that is we remain in him. We abide in him. We know him. And his words remain and abide in us. And when that happens, we begin to discover God's heart 
and his will and his ways. And so the closer our prayers come to God's heart, the more powerfully and the more quickly that they will be answered. And so I think in the, if we go back to the parable, Jesus is teaching us to pray persistently. And he teaches us to pray boldly. Prayers that will honor the Lord. Prayers that are not selfish. Prayers that are not given in the wrong motive. And so we need to pray bold prayers. I think that honors God. I think that honors God. And so ask until you no longer have a voice to cry out with. Seek until you find what you're asking for. Knock until your knuckles are raw. That's the heart of God. So ask boldly. There's one more thing. We need to surrender the outcome completely to God. That's a hard thing. In our journey the last nine months, I said this to Kathy, I don't know, a couple months ago. I said, you know, this morning, I just really prayed, God, your will be done. That's a scary prayer. God had seemed to open doors for us to go back for me to be a probation officer again. And it was all really good and really exciting. And then we kind of ran into this season of waiting and waiting. I had to pass a physical, you see, um, for me to be hired back as a probation officer in the system that I worked in, the federal system, they don't hire people that are older than 37. I hate to break it to you, I'm a little older than 37. I'm almost 49. That's the mentality. And so I had to pass a physical, and that became this long process of waiting. And, and I said to Kathy, you know, just praying, God, your will, God, whatever you have, God, if you're going to close this door, if you're going to use the physical to close it, God, I, I want to be okay with that. And those are scary prayers to pray. I said to her, I, I think he's going to close the door. And we have to be okay with that. And then what would he have next for us, right? So we have to surrender completely the outcome to God. And Jesus is our example in this. In the Garden of Eden, right before Jesus went to the cross, Luke 22, verse 40, look what Jesus does. He asks boldly, and then he surrenders the outcome to the Father. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, right? He's talking about a cup of suffering. Dad, I don't want to go to the cross. Dad, in my flesh, I don't want to endure the suffering of the cup of the cross. Dad, I don't want to be separated from you because of the sin of the world. And so, Dad, if possible, will you take this cup away from me? There's the bold request. He brings it to the Father. But then he surrenders the outcome to the Father. Yet not my will, but yours be done. A passionate plea for a way other than the cross, but a heart that is completely surrendered to a good and loving Father. And so when we pray persistently, as Jesus calls us to in this prayer, I think he says pray bold, bold requests. Prayers for healing. Prayers for miracles. Prayers for power and victory over maybe sin. Prayers for changed behaviors. Prayers for saved marriages. Prayers for children who are wandering away from the Lord. Pray bold prayers and keep praying them and keep praying them and bring them before the Lord. But ultimately, surrender comes when we say, not my will, but yours be done. So let me go back to the parable. 
The purpose, if you remember, is to enter into the story and to identify with a character and to be moved to action, to be moved to a decision. I think Jesus' heart in this parable is for us to be this persistent widow, this powerless widow who do, who do not come to a corrupt judge, but to a good and faithful father who wants to give good gifts to his children, who wants to bless you with his goodness and more of who he is, more than anything in life, I believe that God just wants you to have more of him. More of him. To know him in a deeper and more powerful way. And so be persistent prayers. Persistent prayers in your personal life. Persistent prayers as a church corporately. Man, I've had the privilege of being a part of this church family in incredible seasons of ministry where the Holy Spirit moved in incredible ways. God still wants that. God is doing that. God's doing that amongst you. Keep praying into that. I want to encourage you in that. Be persistent prayers. More of God's glory. More of God's purpose. More of God's plan unfolding through you as his people. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you that you're not just some deity who is out there, not concerned with our lives. We praise you that you're a good, good father who loves each of us so much, so much that you came in the flesh and you went to the cross and you took our sins upon yourself so that we could be free, so that we could have life, so that we could be in relationship with you, so that we could know you. Thank you that you are that God. Thank you that you love us and desire good things for us. That your plans are good, as Jeremiah says. Your plans for us are good. Not to harm us, but for our good. And so God, whether we're in easy times or whether we're going through hard times, I pray that we would seek you and seek your plan, your good plan. That we would surrender the outcome to you, God. That that as we ask for miracles, as we pray in boldness as individuals and corporately, God, that you would answer, that you would be honored in that. God, that our hearts would be aligned with your hearts, that our, our wills would be aligned with your wills, that we would see your will done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would see your kingdom come in mighty and powerful ways right in our very midst. And so God, teach us to be persistent prayers. Teach us to pursue you relentlessly, as you have pursued us. We love you and we bless you as a good, good God. And all God's people said, amen.